love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm your host, Haley Chura. I'm joined with my co-host, Alyssa Gadeski, who this past weekend was nominated for the Social Media Impact Award at the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Awards. Alyssa, I'm I'm sorry to say I tuned in and I was pulling for you, but you did not win. Um, how are you handling the loss? Haley, you know, it, it was a tough loss, but I'm doing okay. And I was been able to just channel the emotions into happiness because the tuning in for the awards, if anyone else, our listeners were tuning in, it felt like a big reunion. Like I just felt like there were so many names of women who we've had on the podcast of, that we've chatted about on the podcast, um, you know, that I've seen in the triathlon circles all around. And it did make me wish that the summit was in person so we could all be face to face, but it was, it was just kind of like a nice feel good occasion, even though I lost congratulations to Hunter Ralston, who did win the social media impact award. But, um, overall I feel like the, just the good vibes of the night were able to just carry me through Haley. Yeah. And someone out there, people did, you know, they like your social media. That's kind of nice to get that feedback in this day and age we live in. I was super pumped. Um, I have to give a shout out my athlete who I coach, Tiencia James. She did win athlete of the year, which I was really, really pumped. She's an incredible, incredible human, um, ER doctor, mother of three. She qualified for Kona for the first time after trying for six years. Of course, postponed a little bit um, her Kona debut, but uh, hopefully 2022 will be a big year for her there. So super pumped. And like you said, there were some other women we've had on the podcast, Nia Aboate, who we talked to earlier. She's the author of, uh, I am a triathlete, that book. We interviewed her earlier this year, I believe. And she was the outstanding media contribution. Um, Amanda Wendorf, who we talked to, um, people might remind her as the Harvard lawyer, Harvard educated lawyer who raced at the very memorable Ironman Ireland. Um, we had her on a few years ago and I know people really, really enjoyed her interview and she won the triathlon community service award. That's fun. And yeah, not only have we talked to Amanda herself, but we've talked to many athletes, including myself who have been part of like that community service award, you know, been on the recipient end of, of Amanda's community service as she's put together so much with the, I race like a girl e-race, um, like Zwifting team. And so many of the women that we race against are, you know, in their off season racing on that team. And Amanda does so much of that work to, to put it all together. So her impact has definitely been heard in many ways on our show. Right. Off season or pandemic racing made it possible. And, and then the other one, uh, Clarice Chasting, one outspoken woman of the year. And we had her on the podcast as Clarice Lorenzini earlier this year. And so if you, if you want to learn more about these women, um, definitely go back and listen to those episodes. And I think the others, I'm like, okay, this is our list of people we definitely need to get to. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's good to always have people, more people I want to interview. Haley, I do have a fun story. So coach of the year was won by Maria Simone. And I have a funny story. I met Maria years ago. Um, I was like, she she picked me up on the side of the road, essentially, Haley. So I had gone down to Key West. There was a triathlon. I don't even remember what it was called. Some triathlon. It was a half distance race in Key West and it was in January. And so it was one of the very few like early distance. It's probably, I think it was like 2014, maybe 2013. 
maybe 2012 long ago and you know there's not a lot of early season racing in north america to be had and i tend to like early season iron man so it's really hard to find something to like tune up for that but this key weight rate key west race was one of them and i had gone down there by myself it was logistically kind of a difficult race it was point to point and a lot of like hoops to jump through and things like that so anyway i had finished and then i had quite a long walk i think over to my bike and then I had all my bags and like everything. So all I remember fast forward is that this pickup truck with triathletes in the back pulled up alongside me as I'm like wandering through Key West trying to find my way. And Maria was in the back and she was like, Hey, do you want to ride? And and I was like, yes, yes, actually I do. And so I hopped into the back of this pickup truck with them and I met Maria. Um, and it turned out, you know, through the small world that triathlon is that she was living in New Jersey at the time and, uh, you know, had, been friends with or kind of trained or been in the same circle with like a homestay I had had in New Jersey. So I put all these pieces together. I was like, okay, I'm safe. I'm not in the car with someone who's going to like abduct me or anything like that. And, um, Maria and I have stayed in touch, you know, through social media and things like that. And she has built quite a business and, you know, you can tell her athletes obviously really appreciate the work that she's been putting in as she was, she won coach of the year, but yeah, Maria and I in the back of a pickup truck back in 2013, probably. I love these kind of stories. And here you are reunited in 2021 on zoom at the outspoken women's triathlon awards, but yeah, congratulations to Maria. Congratulations to you, Alyssa. Congratulations to all the nominees and the finalists. And, um, you know, it is, it's fun to see people recognized. And I did, I watched Khadijah Diggs did the, um, keynote, I believe before the awards. And I, there was something that she said about, and she was last year's outspoken woman of the year, uh, winner. And she said something about, you know, making sure we tell people that they're doing a good job, you know, even, you know, it can be an award, but I think even just like in day-to-day interactions, because you just never know, you might be making their day. And, I, and, and they might not know that they might not know that they're doing a good job. And so I, that resonated with me a lot. And that's something I probably can do a better job of and make sure I, I, I say that to people in my life, like, Hey, you're doing a good job. You're helping me out a lot. And, um, uh, cause I, sometimes people say that to me and it's amazing how it can be like a, a day changer. And Haley, I think for our listeners who may have missed any of this, if you missed the awards, if you missed any of the outspoken summit, kind of offerings, you can still go and um, purchase the package, I guess, and you'll get the recordings of all of that great information, everything that's available. We will link to it in the show notes, um, but you could also head to outspokensummit.com. The information's all there um, and you can get caught up on your own time. It sounds like some great, like honestly, trainer material, treadmill material, all of that. Good to just kind of have in your back pocket as the off season comes, comes into play here. Yes. Or if you happen to live in the northern latitudes of the northern hemisphere and you are planning to spend some time indoors over the next uh, couple of months, good good to have that material queued up. But Haley, it's not off season for you yet. And so I didn't warn you about this ahead of time, but people really loved our Haley's Kona prep workout. So can how about you give us a Haley's Indian Wells prep workout. Oh my goodness. You did. This is like totally, um, (laughs) out of left field, but you can pick any sport. Just keep thinking. I'll, I'll kill some time here as you're you're thinking. I'll say a run I did this weekend because it was, I don't, I mean, I think I've done a track workout again before, but like, I don't run on the track that often and, but it is fun. And it's like, those are easy to scale. And this one was like particularly memorable because we actually, so I don't run the track that often. And a lot of times I prefer probably the treadmill if the weather is bad, just because I can just type in a pace and just hit that pace. And 
um, stay, you know, very focused. But this past weekend, it was really warm out and here in Bozeman and it was clear. We had snow and then it all went away. And then um, I needed to run on Sunday and the gym doesn't open till noon. And it was just so nice out. And I was like, I need to, I, I got to go. Like, I want to go run. And so I went to the track and I was running some 400s, which is a little bit out of my comfort zone. And, um, you know, it's pretty fast, but I, um, it was also incredibly windy, like so windy. So you know, I'm like, okay, but it's an oval, right? So I'm going to have a headwind on one side. I'm going to have a tailwind on the other side. And the time differential <laughs> between the headwind and the tailwind made my pacing. It was terribly paced. You know, I was like, I could not like, I mean, it didn't, the watch didn't even matter, but I was trying to run around 130 for 400. So around six minute pace. And I was anywhere from 134 to 123, which, and they felt the same. The 134 and the 123 felt the exact same, which normally that is a big, big difference. But because of how the wind was blowing, sometimes I like could not tell the difference between a 134 and a 123. Just like what the, what gusts hit me. It was, it was, I'm like, I just had to tell myself it's the effort that matters, not the time. Just go for about that effort and you're getting the job done. Oh, wait, how many 400s did you do? Did you tell us that? Oh, I did 10 400s. I did 10 400s and I did 100 meters walk, 100 meters jog in between, which I I love walking. Like walking recovery is my favorite thing ever. And I did, you know, I don't know if you watched that video a few weeks ago in that article in that I think it was the Irish Times about Ilya Kipchoge and, you know, they showed some of his workout and um, you know, he was warming up at like nine minute mile pace, um, which for a guy who can run a marathon under 440 per mile pace is like quite the differential. And I think they were talking about when they were warming up, they would do strides and they would walk in between the strides. And so I'm like, there is a place for walking. You know, I, I'm a big fan of it. <laughs> when you want full recovery. If your coach tells you to like jog, cause you're not supposed to be getting full recovery, you know, there's a place for that as well. Totally. If you, but if you have the past to walk, I agree. Like don't make it harder than it needs to be. Right. So relish in it. Yes. And again, like, I mean, I, I think there is some value in, in sometimes training in, in less than ideal conditions like wind, because we race in less than ideal conditions. And I do always try to remind myself that, that, you know, the effort is more important than like a specific pace. So if the conditions make it where, you know, it's, you're not able to hit that exact pace that you were going for, um, get, go aim for that effort, deal with what conditions you have on the day. And it is similar to, to a race day when you might have bizarre, bizarre conditions, but the conditions hit everyone, you know, wind, wind hits everyone. So it's just like, you know, just know that you are making forward progress, even if you don't feel like you are. And Haley, we don't have any mailbag this week, but our listeners can always send in questions to the mailbag, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And we have a super fun interview for everyone today. But before that, Haley, we have an update to the Inside Tracker deal that is going on as they are a um, a podcast sponsor and a sponsor with Feisty Media. But with the holidays, with Black Friday happening, they've updated their deal to be even better. So this holiday season, the best gifts are personal, and there's nothing more personal than the gift of good health. Whether your loved one runs, bikes, hikes, plays sports, or simply wants to improve their wellness, Inside Tracker is the most personalized way to make sure their body stays in it for the long haul. Gift cards and clothes are impersonal and expected, so why not get your loved ones a gift that is truly special and unique to them? This Black Friday, save $200 
on Inside Tracker's ultimate plan, the most comprehensive way to get personalized insight into their body's well-being. No two people achieve optimal health the same way. Age, genes, nutrition, and lifestyle all play a part, but no matter who you're shopping for, Inside Tracker's personalized nutrition and performance system provides the most detailed analysis of their biomarker data from blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness tracking. Inside Tracker gives them the power to achieve a healthier, longer life through concrete, personalized action plans consisting of proven, science-backed recommendations. So head to insidetracker.com slash ironwomen today to save $200 on the Inside Tracker's ultimate plan. You'll also get 25% off site-wide to give the gift of personalized health. And everyone, feisty listeners are also getting an extra with a free inner age test. So again, oh, insidetracker.com no. slash ironwomen. Really good to get on top of that holiday gift giving. And I love gifts that are more experienced or like something you can use and something like that. And this definitely fits into that mold. So get a head start. Get on this deal. Yeah, no uh, supply chain issues for blood testing. I mean, hopefully not. Actually, I shouldn't even say that. They're probably going to be like a shortage of vials or something. But um, uh, $200 off is great. But Alyssa, this inner age one, is that <laughs> you've done it. I have not. Is that a good gift? <laughs> but I guess that's, that's for any Iron Woman listener. Like it could just be you could get it for yourself, right? You could. Yes, exactly. So that doesn't okay. have, yeah, that can be your fun extra because you know it's fun to shop for others and then throw something in for yourself. I feel like maybe I could, uh, if I got my inner age, I could like, I could submit that for next year's, um, I'm going to nominate myself for the lifetime achievement award I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> because again, I'm pretty sure I'm like, I'm going to be triple digits of my inner age, but, um, no great deal. And thank you to inside tracker for supporting the podcast. And I can't believe it's already almost black Friday, but, um, but as you alluded, we have an incredible interview this week. Um, Everyone should be familiar with the name Lucy Charles Barclay. She is the reigning Ironman 70.3 world champion. And hopefully everyone did watch her incredible win in St. George, Utah this past September. Lucy had an absolutely amazing race. She recorded the fastest swim, fastest bike, and fastest run splits in the pro women's field to win her first world title. And Lucy is no stranger to the world championship podium. She finished second at the Ironman World Championships in Kona on her professional debut there in 2017 and followed it up with second place finishes in 2018 and 2019 as well. And she's also been second at the uh, 2018 70.3 World Championships in South Africa. So it was only a matter of time before she clenched that top step. Um, Lucy had an incredible 2021 racing year. She raced a huge variety of events from local running races and swim meets to the Olympic swimming trials, Super League, uh, and and of course, the 70.3 World Championships. Lucy has really shown herself to be one of the most versatile athletes on the planet. And so we were super lucky to talk to her about her recent races, what it felt like to finally win a world championship title, uh, who makes up her team, this team Charles Barclay, and what she has planned for 2022. We'll have our conversation with Lucy right after the break. The Iron Women Podcast wants to give a huge shout out to Orca Sportswear for their continued support in 2021. As someone who isn't a natural born swimmer, my choices for swim gear are super important. Orca has me ready to battle for every second I need in the water with the open water, triathlon, and swim run wetsuits. They also have safety buoys, goggles, cold water caps, and booties. You name it, they have it. The code IRONWOMEN15 will get you 15% off, so head to orca.com today and let's get ready to swim in 2021. Haley, have you ever realized that skincare is an all-season job? 
It really is, Alyssa. Winter can be just as harsh on my skin as the summertime sun. I rely on Zelio skincare products to get me through every season here in Montana. My favorite winter products are the body lotion, lip protection, and of course, Betwixt chamois cream. Mine too. And our Iron Women listeners can also stock up on Zelio's products for the season ahead. Use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com to get 15% off. That's right, get 15% off at teamzelios.com using code IRONWOMEN. Hi, Lucy. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hey, oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm glad I can finally chat to you. I feel like um, I wasn't able to get back to you straight away with a busy schedule, but we finally managed to get a date together. So yeah, super happy to be here. We are super happy to have you here. And I did think our first question today was going to be about your recent race in Abu Dhabi, but you actually just managed to sneak in another one because you won the women's race at the Alton Towers 10K this past weekend. I think you ran around like 35 minutes. So you have a busy schedule, obviously. And is it safe to assume that your legs felt pretty good coming out of Abu Dhabi? Yeah, I I really actually enjoyed the Abu Dhabi experience. Obviously, it was completely different being a sprint distance, but um, we kind of always had this date in the diary to go and do this 10K at Alton Towers, which is a really cool theme park here in the UK. So it actually was like a brutal course. I told loads of people, no, it'll be fast, flat, it's a theme park. And it was so hilly. It was like dead turns. It was so technical. There was wet leaves on the ground. I was like, what have I signed up for? But it was really, really fun, actually. And I was pretty happy with that time on a tough course. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And we do want to ask you about your 12th place finish at the World Triathlon Championship Series race in Abu Dhabi just over a week ago. It was a fast and furious draft legal sprint race. So your first ever sprint distance race. And in your post-race YouTube video, you mentioned racing with different tactics than your usual plan so that you could get to the front and stay there. So how did you feel about your performance? Yeah, I was kind of a mixed mixed feelings, to be honest, with the performance. Like, I didn't know what to expect being a sprint distance, my first ever one. Obviously, I come from the long course background. So racing a sprint is really the polar opposite end of the spectrum. And I kind of always thought, oh, it's only a sprint. Like, I can do this. It's one hour. How hard can it be? And it was like, oh, my God, it was one hour of hurting, like absolute hell. And I was like, yeah, tactically, I'm going to go for a slightly different approach. Obviously, I'd raced in Leeds earlier this year in an Olympic distance. And I'd let out the swim. I'd exited the swim. My heart rate was near max. And I just couldn't sprint to my bike in T1. And I got overtaken on the way to my bike and then lost that front group. So I was like, okay, in this race, I'm going to try and sit in on the swim. So my heart rate's a bit lower. And then absolutely sprint with everything I've got to my bike to try and be in that front group on the bike, which I did for a while. (laughs) And then I just could not hang in with those girls. I think technically they're just so strong on more technical courses than we ride on the long course. So I need to now go away and just work on those skills so that Hopefully in future when I'm losing or not losing half a second on every corner, then I haven't got to work that bit harder every time we do a turn or a corner. So um, lots to think about, lots to improve on. But actually, again, I did have a lot of fun. It it hurt like hell, um, but it was actually a lot of fun. (laughs) 
And in that video, you mentioned the water temperature was 31 degrees Celsius, which is, I think, nearly 88 degrees Fahrenheit for our American friends. Um, <laughs> and that's really, really warm, no matter what, what how you measure it, um, even for a sprint distance race. And I understand the air temperature was pretty hot as well. So I actually do know several age group athletes who are planning to race age group world championships in Abu Dhabi next year. Do you have any tips for them on managing those kind of conditions? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely recommend trying to do some heat preparation before the race. So whether that's kind of doing some warmer turbo sessions, just getting used to the heat, maybe going running in some warmer layers and doing some kind of sauna sessions or something like that, just to get your body used to the heat, which I kind of... um I hadn't really realized how warm it was going to be. And a lot of locals there were like, oh, no, it's cooling down now. It's fine. And it was still like, I think the real feel temperature was about 38 degrees um, when you take into account the humidity. So it was absolutely boiling. So, yeah, definitely do the heat prep. Do not neglect it. um, And you'll find the race a lot easier. And in that race in Abu Dhabi, you finished 12th overall. You were the seventh British woman. So we imagine part of your reason for entering the race is a potential run at the 2024 Paris Olympics. And you seem like someone who likes a challenge. So does making the Olympic team for arguably the deepest team, you know, the Brits could put together, make the challenge extra appealing for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely someone who always loves a challenge. And I think the harder the challenge, the more I know I'm going to work to try and achieve it. So yeah, like you said, we have just got so much depth here in the UK. I was like trying to scratch my head and ask the family if we got any other kind of background where I could race for another nation, it might be a bit easier. But um, yeah, it's unbelievable that the strength and depth we have in the UK. I mean, to be 12th in the race and be seventh in your country is just insanity. So it just shows how much like depth and strength we have, particularly in the women's. It's just crazy. And you and Taylor Nib have shown that even in the current very competitive women's fields, it is possible to race very well at both short course draft legal and long course non-drafting triathlon races in the same season even. And as you mentioned earlier, you kind of took the more unusual approach because you added short course racing after Ironman and 70.3 success. Do you think the two styles of racing complement each other? I know you've only done a couple draft legal races, but do you think it even helps your Ironman racing? Yeah, I think even at 70.3 Worlds, and I actually race the European 70.3 champs as well. I think in both of those races, my transitions were just a slight bit better than maybe they would have been just from doing the short course because you can't afford to waste any time there in short course. So even if I'm only saving 10 seconds throughout that kind of transition period and a 70.3 it's still I've I've lost an Ironman before by nine seconds so it can come down to small margins so um yeah I, I think there's so many skills to learn and I'm definitely even only having done two of the draft legal races I feel like my confidence of bike handling has improved so much so I mean quite often the long course races aren't on the most technical courses but sometimes you will get a technical descent that actually maybe before I hadn't been confident doing but now I feel so much more confident on my bike knowing how it's going to perform in different conditions and the fact that in an Ironman I'm basically riding on my own so I haven't got to actually worry about other riders around you whereas if you can ride well technically in a group then of course you can do it on your own so there's definitely an overlap in how the skills can help I think obviously I feel like my fitness from Ironman definitely helps me in the short course it's still I mean, a two-hour race is still an endurance event, so you do need a good level of endurance to be good at that distance. But 
it, it is very different the type of training that you need to do particularly from a sprint to an Ironman it, it is completely different and I think I'd probably underestimated that when I went into Abu Dhabi that I needed to have done more specific training for that race and I think if I was to do another one I definitely would do that because it hurt like hell because I just hadn't done the right work for that race I think. And Lucy, you've had an incredible season, and we do want to back up a little bit here to talk more about that. So well, let's back up to September and the Ironman 70.3 World Championships. You had the fastest swim, fastest bike, and the fastest run splits in the pro women's field. So did winning your first world title just feel like this perfect day that all came together? Yeah, I think if you want to win a world title for the first time, and I felt like it had been a long time coming, that was definitely the way to do it, to go and kind of get the fastest on each discipline. It was really a dream day for me. And yeah, I've obviously had multiple second place finishes. So it was even more sweeter to finally get that win having, I think I've got four second place finishes across the Ironman and 70.3. So yeah, it was so good to finally get that win on that race. And I think in one of your pre-race interviews, you mentioned being nervous because you felt so fit going into the race. So do you normally get nervous for races? And is there anything specific that you do to manage the feeling or that you did ahead of St. George? Yeah, I think there's always some nerves before every race because I think it's only normal to have some nerves, particularly if you, you know you've done the work. I think that was the difference with St. George. I knew I'd done the work. I knew I was in amazing shape and I knew that there was the potential to go and win the race. And I, I think that's why I was more nervous because I thought if I do this right, I can win it. But if I mess things up, then I, I might kind of throw away the chance to get a world title. So it was so important that everything went right. And as triathletes know, so many things can go wrong in a triathlon, particularly on the longer distance where there's just so many elements to the race that you might get wrong. And obviously having a mechanical bike, things can go wrong with it as well. So there was a lot of nerves on that start line. And I even remember back to my swimming career. I think the better I got at something and the more I believed I could win, actually, the more nervous I got, um, particularly at the higher end competitions where you're just like, actually, it could be so life changing if I get this right on this one day and you've only got the one opportunity to do it. So, yeah, but I don't think nerves are a bad thing either. It just shows you care and it shows that you've kind of done the work and you deserve to be there. Do you do anything? Are there any mantras or like, do you surround yourself with certain people? Do you listen to a certain song? Is there anything you do to kind of just like keep yourself in the moment, keep yourself focused and like remind yourself that the nerves aren't a bad thing, but you still need to like get on that start line? Yeah, I think I normally just kind of plug in my earphones, go into my own little world. And I tend to have like a playlist of songs that I would listen to on my key workouts. And that's kind of the same playlist that I bring in before a race. It almost gets my head into that same mindset of, okay, this is the time where you've got to make it count. And obviously it helps you remember back to the key sessions that you did where maybe you absolutely nailed it and you were like, okay, this is contributing to my next race. This this is definitely a step forward in my training. So remembering that before a race, I think gives you a lot of confidence. Can you share a song? Is there, what's on Lucy's pre-race playlist? Oh, I love a lot of Imagine Dragons. They're definitely on there. I, I'm quite a big like Eminem fan as well. So like there's a song One Shot, One Opportunity. I used to listen to that, I think, when I was about nine years old before swimming competitions. So it's kind of stuck with me. Um, but yeah, I like anything upbeat, anything with good lyrics just to get me going, get me in the mood. 
And Lucy, you posted a really fun YouTube video of your pre 70.3 worlds altitude camp in Cedar city, Utah. And it seemed like you had quite the crew traveling with you to help you there. So can you tell us a little bit about your team, the different roles they play and like how that all goes into getting you ready for a big race, like the world championships? Yeah, so over the uh, years, we've definitely kind of built up a team to help us. I think it feels like we always have like a whole rolling show to get everyone there for the race. So this was the first time we traveled actually with my physio. So he came out there and kind of just kept the body in the best possible shape leading into the race. And I think I'd done quite a lot in the season. So my body was definitely getting more and more tired. So just to have a physio there day in, day out, if I had a small niggle, we could kind of get to the bottom of it straight away. Um, obviously I had my sister Holly there who is able to document all of the stuff that we get up to when it goes right when it goes wrong and just sharing that story with everyone which is great especially when it's your sister as well because you can kind of I'm just obviously so comfortable around my sister and she knows what questions to ask when not to ask questions and leave me alone um obviously my husband Reese is there who's been there from day one just supporting me kind of He's playing that coaching role, even though I have another coach, Dan Larang, now as well. But Reese is there day to day just to see how I'm doing and ultimately making that final decision about whether I can or can't do a session because he will know exactly how I feel. Um, and then we also have Paz on our team who just deals with the day to day stuff, organizes everything, drives us to the pool, wherever we need to be for our sessions, just keeping track of time and making sure we've got everything we need to perform at the right level. So it's definitely a, a whole team affair when we go to races. Like I could not do it on my own. I, I really do need those people around me to to help me perform at my best. And what about at home? I know that you, you know, you posted your video about your transition practice and someone was timing, someone's filming. Like what, um, what about your team at home? Yeah, so we kind of just get all our friends, all our family involved. So even in that video, I think it was my dad there who he'd actually come round with my mum and he was setting up, we were going to have a Halloween party. He was putting up all the Halloween decorations for us. And I was like, oh, dad, can you just come out and tie me for a couple of these transitions? I want to see if I can do it any faster. So yeah, we just call upon any of our friends or family and normally our friends for when we need some help training we're like oh we've got this really long session that we need to do today do you fancy joining us maybe for some of it maybe not all of it but yeah we we call upon anyone that will come and join us for a bit of fun it's great to have that community and I just I feel like it's so cool that you have like your family probably has been involved in your athletic endeavors for so long and they're getting to see you continue on yeah, it's so nice actually. And like since I started in triathlon, my mum really got into running. She realized one, how good she is at it, but also just how much she enjoys it. So just getting everyone to kind of obviously part of this fit and active lifestyle is so good. And we were obviously at Alton Towers at the weekend for this 10K event. And it wasn't just me running. Reese was running. My mum and dad ran. Reese's sister ran and her partner, our friends ran it. My sister ran it. So we had a whole load of us just go and do this run and then was able to enjoy a day out afterwards. So yeah, it's a lot of fun just getting everyone involved. And you've touched now on your sister, Holly, and the role she plays on your team. And the finish line video at St. George, we saw the shot of you embracing her. And we're actually really lucky to be talking to Holly in just a little bit. But can you tell us from your point of view a little bit more about your relationship as siblings and business partners? <laughs> yeah, so obviously, <laughs> we've known each other our whole lives. So um, 
growing up together, we were definitely, I know I drove my sister mad because I was just so competitive. Everything was a competition and she was also a swimmer, but she definitely didn't do it to the competitive level that I did. She did it more for the social side. So we were very different in that kind of aspect. But then in terms of kind of our interests, they're very similar. So I'm also into photography. Um, I studied um photography at school Holly did photography at university so we both kind of had that interest there which I think is why now kind of going into business together we we both have that shared passion for photography and art so we can bounce ideas off of each other about making videos but obviously my sister has been there from the very beginning seeing how much I've wanted to try and go to the Olympics, try and win a world title. She's been there the whole way. She's seen the lows, she's seen the highs, she's kind of seen the setbacks along the way and and how hard I've worked the whole time. So you could see it meant a lot to her as well when I did go and get that world title because she'd been there from the very beginning, seeing the work that went into it. And now obviously she gets to document that journey as well. So yeah, it's very special to be able to do it with my sister. And when did she become your videographer? Like, how did that relationship happen? Or like, how did that, what conversation went into that? Did you, did you approach her and ask her if she would do that? Or was she like, hey, I think I could help you this way? Yeah, so obviously, Holly graduated from university, I think it was probably at the end of 2018, I believe. Um, And I didn't want to like force her into working for us. It was always kind of, I'd kind of said it could be an option, but I was like, you should probably go into the world, make sure you kind of maybe find out what you might want to do, do a few jobs first, see if you like them. And then if that doesn't work out, then maybe you could work for us. And we're looking at maybe doing a YouTube channel, which we'd obviously love for you to be a part of. And I think she probably worked for about a year and just had rubbish jobs and was like, yeah, you know what? All of this sucks quite a lot. So maybe I could actually come and work for you and kind of, help you with your media and obviously having the experience and knowledge in photography we knew that she would be good at that but we kind of said yeah that'd be great but straight away we sent her away to kind of do a video editing course um just to kind of get the basic skills because it's actually pretty hard to make good YouTube videos we were like if you go and do that then at least you've got some knowledge there so we sent her away on that and then I think it was after Kona 2019 Holly started making videos for us and just now like looking back on the progress she's made since then on these videos is just phenomenal because she's poured all of her talent and hard work into these videos and yeah we're always blown away every time she makes a new one we're like this is just so good so yeah really really cool that she's done all of that and been part of the journey as well and as we go back to cedar city it seemed like your stay there was a little bit of a last minute pivot after the ironman world championships in kona was postponed to 2022 so This was your first time training at altitude and you did a lot of training above 2,500 meters or 8,000 feet of elevation. So from a race results perspective, it seemed like the camp really worked out obviously, but you know, how did you feel? Did you feel like it gave you an extra advantage for race day? Yeah. So the camp had always actually been planned around Kona. So we was always going to go there, but it was more that we would do the altitude camp and then go to Kona and hope that that work would pay off a bit later. But obviously when Kona got postponed, we were like, Oh, is this now a gamble? because the A race is now the 70.3 Worlds. That was always going to be kind of the stepping stone race. But we were like, okay, we're going to gamble it. We're going to go up to that high altitude, do a camp, and then really close to the race, drop into race. And so many things went wrong up there. Like I'd come from the Collins Cup where I'd picked up a stomach bug. So I, I arrived there 
quite fatigued and not in the best state kind of health anyway. And then after that, we kind of, I I ended up getting another cold from traveling. <laughs> so yeah, I ended up getting another cold from traveling. And then I ended up getting my first ever migraine that I, I've never had a migraine before. So all these things happened up at altitude and I was really questioning, is this the right thing to do? Is it all just going to go horribly wrong and I'm going to have a really bad race? But it turns out that I think it worked pretty well. Um, I think I'm quite lucky because of my background in swimming. I was actually able to train quite intensely at altitude in the pool, which maybe other athletes wouldn't be able to do. Or maybe if you've been an elite runner, maybe you'd be able to do intensity on one of the disciplines where your background is. But I think that's what really helped, that it allowed me to do intensity up there because a 70.3 is still quite an intense event. Like you do need to have some speed. So that was where I was quite concerned that maybe I would be super fit, but I wouldn't be fast enough. But yeah, as it happens, it all seemed to come together pretty well. Do you think you'd do it again? Would you, I mean, I know that next year for St. George in May, Cedar City is probably going to be like maybe under snow. So I don't know if you can necessarily go back up there um, for, you know, ahead of it. But would you, do you think like you would do altitude again? Yeah, I definitely think I would do it again. And like you said, I don't know whether it will work this time around because it probably still will be snowy up there. But it seems that I am a good responder to altitude. So I feel like we will we'll try it again. Maybe we'll do a couple of camps throughout the year and, and see what happens. And OK, I want to go back to it seems like, you know, or- Seems like you have a little bit of a fear of missing out. And in one of your videos, I think you even said that. And that was one of the reasons that drove you to compete in so many events. I mean, just alone this year, I think you did the Olympics, Olympic swimming trials, Super League triathlon, World Triathlon Series championship races, um, 70.3 triathlon, park run, London Marathon, Collins Cup, local swim meets, and then, you know, local 10K. I'm sure I'm forgetting a few. And so you go into these races and you're not necessarily 100% prepared for all those start lines, but you put yourself out there anyway. So you win a lot of races, but it seems like you're also like just not even afraid to lose. So do you feel like missing out is worse than, you know, missing a start line or being on a start line a little unprepared? Yeah, it's a it's a difficult balance, particularly I think when you're at maybe the pointy end in your sport and it feels like every single race you go into, you're being judged on it. You're expected to do well because you've always kind of done well at the top level. And I think even more so now coming off the back of winning the 70.3 Worlds, people almost expected me to win in Abu Dhabi. And it was like, actually, I'm a novice at this. Like, I've never done it before. So I'm not going in there expecting to win. I'm going in there expecting to learn and maybe it go horribly wrong. So I do remember being on the start lines in Leeds and I was actually really nervous because I'd read so many things where people thought I was going to win the race. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, I'm just here like to maybe have a bit of fun, see what it's about, see if I could be any good at it. And I definitely have always had that approach. I like to do races to learn before the next big one and I think your best experience of gaining knowledge is in a real race environment you can kind of mimic it to some extent in training but you're never ever going to get the best learning experience unless you're in the real race actually doing it so um I and I obviously I'm someone who loves to race as a as a kid I wanted to do everything and as I came into triathlon we did everything we did kind of mountain biking cross-country racing we would just give it all a go and I think that's 
probably why we've done quite well in triathlon is just because we have always put ourselves out there even if it isn't always going to go well but it is hard because you do see people going oh well that wasn't very good and it was like well what did you actually expect because I've never done it before (laughs) so yeah do you just like drown out those you know just like try to ignore them I mean is it mostly about like insulating your people with or insulating yourself with people who really support you and understand what you're doing and just like ignore the commenters yeah I think if I listened to all of it then I I wouldn't be on those start lines having the fun that I'm having and obviously I went and did uh, Super League in Malibu which again was a completely different experience for me but I just had so much fun because I just went there with no pressure I knew I was going to learn a lot I knew I was going to be a long way out of my comfort zone and yeah the best thing to do is just kind of block out any of those comments and just yeah go there and know why you're there and know that your whole team knows you're there just to have some fun and they're going to support that no matter what I hope our listeners were really listening to that because I think there's so much value in hearing that someone like you sees value in going into a race not expecting to win right but expecting to learn I think that's like such a key concept to really longevity and just like having fun with this, you know, crazy endurance stuff that we all do and that sort of thing. So definitely, you know, listeners write that one down. Um, (laughs) And Lucy, you've really embraced the business side of being a professional athlete, which does include a huge social media presence. Uh, You have more than 4,000, 400,000 Instagram followers and a very popular, well done YouTube channel. Does it ever feel strange to have a camera following you everywhere, documenting so much of your life? Or does it actually help because then you can tell more of the story and say like, you know, things like, hey, guys, I'm this is brand new for me and kind of show that aspect of it? Yeah, it's, it is quite strange. I think I have got used to kind of just having the camera there. And I guess when it's your sister behind the lens, it kind of just feels normal that Holly's hanging out with me and we're just doing what we do day to day. But I think the strangest thing is more when I go to races and we realize how many people are actually watching the YouTube videos and kind of just, they're like, oh, I loved it when you did this. And you're like, oh my God, what you were all watching that. And I guess we we sit there and enjoy watching them, but we don't actually kind of take in how many other people are, are kind of watching those videos and taking things away from them. So yeah, I, at the moment we enjoy making them and we, we're glad to hear that most people enjoy watching them as well. So, and yeah, it is a business doing this. I think if you want to have a long career, then kind of being able to do those things will help. Um, but it is a full-time job as well. There's absolutely no way I could do all of this. That's why I have to have a team around me to help with it because there's just too much going on otherwise. And what about the feedback? I mean, I, I know that you're talking about, you know, people coming up to you, but do you, do you read the comments? Like, do you, um, I mean, is that ever hard? Like, do you ever get like, I, I don't know. I mean, people say mean things on the internet and, um, I know you do giveaways and that kind of thing. Are you going through the comments or do you have someone else to kind of like help keep you from that? And then, you know, just kind of keep you focused on, on racing. Yeah, I'm obviously very lucky to have Holly who manages the majority of the social media. But obviously, because she's my sister, there's still an emotional attachment to what these comments are saying. So if they're saying something negative about me, it's going to upset her as well. So I've been quite lucky that I can switch off to it. But I feel like Holly maybe can't switch off, off to it because it's her full time job to do that. So it is definitely hard. And particularly when they're maybe critiquing something on a video that we all thought was really good, but they didn't like it, then then it's like directly critiquing her work. So that can be hard as well. And yeah, there's always going to be negative things. And I think it's it's natural for anyone to kind of 
read the negative comments. You never go, oh, there were so many nice comments. It's always the one negative one that you remember. So I think that's why we were like, I'm, I'm not going to read them anymore. When we do a giveaway, Holly can let me know all of the good comments and I can pick a winner. But um, we try and kind of just switch our minds off to the negativity and keep things positive. And looking ahead to 2022, in addition to two Ironman World Championship races, the defense of your 70.3 World Championship title, presumably a few World Triathlon Championship Series and Super League races, you also have the Sub-8 project on your schedule. So can you tell us what the Sub-8 project is and will we be able to watch? Yeah, so the Sub-8 project is going to be happening uh, not that long after the Ironman World Championships in uh, St. George, Utah. So... It is obviously an attempt to do an Ironman distance under eight hours, which has never been done by a female athlete before. In the event, I can actually select 10 women paces to help me. So that can be across swim, bike and run. It could be all bike. It could be just run. I can pick where they come in, how long they actually do a stint of the race with me, whether they drop out, come back in. So there is a hell of a lot to think about, but uh, it's exciting because I've never done anything like this. Um, you will be able to watch it as well. I'm actually hoping to make some decisions on my team fairly soon. Um, I feel like I, I need to get a move on with that because it's actually happening next year. It feels like it's been quite a long time coming and then it's suddenly creeping up. So yeah, it's an exciting project. There's obviously a lot of different things to think about. We're not going to be following all of the exact rules of Ironman. So obviously I can actually have people help me, whereas normally you're out there on your own. Um, so that will make a bit of a difference, even more so to have kind of positive morale from other athletes that are helping you rather than you just being out there on your own. So I think particularly on the run, that would be more of an element for me is that, yes, they need to be able to run fast enough for the pace I want to try and hit, but more so they just need to be a bubbly, fun character that's going to keep me in the right headspace. So lots to think about. <laughs> we have so many amazing women to pick from as well. So, um, and obviously I don't have to just pick triathletes as well. I could pick a swimmer for the swim. I could pick pro cyclists for the bike. I could pick runners for the run. So, so much to think about, so many tactics to consider, riding formations on the bike, everything like that. Do I need to be super aero? Do I not? Because I'm going to have people on the bike in front of me. Um, could I be on a road bike? They be on TT bikes. It's just, um, yeah, there's a lot to think about. But it is going to be a really exciting project. We obviously have Nicola Spirig racing um, a team for herself to try and be eight hours. And then we have Alistair Brownlee and Christian Blumenfeld on the men's side. So, yeah, pretty exciting, I think. Um I feel like it will be achieved on the women's side. It might be achieved by both me and Nicola, but I feel like potentially the men have a harder challenge. I'm not sure. So yeah, be interesting to see. This is super exciting. I should know this, but where is this happening? Is it going to happen on a circuit course? And, you know, similar, I'm thinking of like the breaking two with the marathon. Obviously it seems like a similar concept. Is it, is it happening on like a flat course or a track somewhere? So I'm not actually allowed to give away where oh. it's going to take place yet, but okay. it, it rest assured it's going to need to be fast because we want to have the best conditions for the day. So um, I think very soon we are going to be announcing where it is happening. But uh, yeah, I can't give that away just yet. <laughs> Okay. I feel less bad for not knowing, but I'm like my research, but, um, Lucy, before we let you go, we don't normally do this, but we want to do a couple rapid fire questions because it's just fun. And, um, and so we have a few for you and I'll kick it off here, but 
First one is how often do people ask you if you're a fan of a certain basketball player? (laughs) I do get asked this quite regularly and they are like, are you relation to Charles Barkley? (laughs) So yeah, it's quite a regular question. Are you a fan? I mean, I loved obviously the Michael Jordan documentary. So I am quite a fan of all of the uh, basketball players having watched that. So yeah, Charles Barkley's definitely up there. I mean, we have the same name, so. (laughs) And we know you're into fashion. Do you have a favorite fall 2021 fashion trend? Oh gosh. (laughs) I mean, I'm obsessed with kind of, well, autumn is like my favorite time of year to kind of get dressed up and go out. But I think that's because I'm normally on off season around autumn, winter. So yeah, like woolly coats, knitwear, boots. Um, I love the red sole Louboutin heels. I'm a bit of obsessed with those. But uh, yeah, they're just too expensive to buy. <laughs> I mean, I would happily run a marathon in those for sponsorship and probably break my feet, but <laughs> it's never going to happen. So You never know. You put it out there. Um, is there <laughs> anything you consider a triathlon fashion don't? Oh, oh God, there's probably absolutely loads. But I think calf guards maybe used to be cool, but I just don't think they are anymore. I can agree with that. I think, yeah, you nailed that one. Um, You're known for your race day battle braids. Do you braid your hair yourself pre-race? Yes, I do braid them now. But at the moment, I've only mastered the Dutch braid where they're sticking outwards, which can sometimes cause problems if I pick the wrong bike helmet because then it doesn't fit. (laughs) Oh, that is hard. Um, you mentioned your recent Halloween party. I was curious if that counted as your world championship celebration, or is that still forthcoming? That was one of many. <laughs> the hardest swim event, you think? 200 butterfly, 400 IM, or 1500 meter freestyle? Oh, I did a 400 medley quite recently, and I'd forgot how brutal that was. So I'm going to go 400 IM. Yeah, I would agree. That one <laughs> rough. Um, similar hardest off the bike running event since you have experience here too. 5K, 10K or marathon? Oh, God. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to go marathon just because you have so many different emotions on that run and highs and lows. So, And you can't just pull that out of the bag. You've got to have done a lot of work to get to that point. What do you covet the most? An Olympic gold medal, Ironman World Championship win, or Ironman distance world record time? Oh, they are all pretty epic. Uh, I'm going to go Ironman World Champs win because I've come so close and don't yet have that one. Okay, we, we kind of might have already answered this one, but aside from the Louboutin heels, is there a dream sponsor that you don't have yet? Oh, God, um, I think it would have to be Mercedes-Benz because I am obsessed with the G-Wagon um, car. I would love one of those. <laughs> and last one, your favorite off-season activity. Oh, uh, probably just going out for good food in London. Definitely. Somewhere in the city. And um, I think you're on the start list for Challenge Daytona. Are you planning to race that? I mean, presumably the off season isn't too far away. Um, so after Abu Dhabi, I decided that I'm definitely on off season now. I think for me, that was probably already one race too many. So 
I am now all about the food <laughs> and having some good time leading into Christmas. So yeah, that is me done for this year. Uh, well, we are so thankful that you gave us some time during your off season. We hope you enjoy the rest of it. You get all your great food in London, dressing up in your favorite autumn clothing and having fun celebrations week after week. Cause that is, you've had a season to celebrate, but thank you so much, Lucy. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been great chatting to you both. Hey, Haley, it's officially fall and I am drinking my noon hydration immunity. Haha, <laughs> Alyssa, I love a good pun and a good warm fall beverage, but can you tell me a little bit more about this new Immunity 3 product? What does the 3 stand for? It stands for vitamins, electrolytes, and prebiotics, the three keys to staying healthy and hydrated this season. Noon Hydration Immunity 3 comes in mandarin, orange, and superberry flavors, and all Iron Women podcast listeners can get 30% off Immunity 3 and the whole line of Noon Hydration products by using the code STAYFEISTY at NoonLife.com. Haley, have you ever been jealous of the elite running or cycling groups who are able to get their blood work done super quickly and efficiently because they have a doctor on staff? Yes, I have been jealous. I have a great primary care physician, but I'll admit, sometimes I'm curious about certain blood markers in between my annual doctor visits. Me too, and that's why I'm excited Inside Tracker is here. Inside Tracker is on-demand blood testing. You pick your plan online, schedule your blood draw appointment locally, and get your results within a few days. My favorite part, they don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips too. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering our listeners 25% off of their entire store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash ironwomen and get started. It was really fun to hear about Lucy's incredible year. I'm disappointed she won't be in Daytona, but I'm glad she's taking time for herself, some off-season time, because it sounds like she's gearing up for an equally impressive 2022. And... For all of our listeners, if you if you did catch that, um, next week we are actually chatting with Holly Charles, Lucy's younger sister, and the videographer and photographer behind Team Charles Barclay, and Holly's giving us the inside scoop on all of those amazing YouTube videos. So definitely tune in next week for that great episode and great interview. Haley, if the sister um, vibe goes like out well and our listeners like let us know what you think by writing into the mailbag at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com, maybe one day we'll have to have our sisters on the podcast. <laughs> I know. We <laughs> are about fans their of roles sisters. in our illustrious careers. <laughs> I I feel like my sister would be up for that. Um, but uh, that yeah, yeah, no kidding. I know. We are big fans of the sisters. And I, I do think, you know, it is fun having these two interviews back to back. So definitely come back, everyone, next week and hear Holly's side of the story. And just a reminder that this week is the special Inside Tracker uh, bonus that you can get, with, which is like the $200 off of the Inside Tracker Ultimate Plan plus 25% off site-wide, site whatever else you would like. And you can add a free inner age test for our feisty listeners. So head to insidetracker.com slash ironwomen to get on top of that deal. And if you do the inner age test right into the mailbag, let us know what you think, what your thoughts. If Haley, if you think Haley should do it, let her know it's not that bad. It's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we could do a poll or we could do like, if this gets certain number of listens, Haley will do the inner age test and tell <laughs> and, what it yeah, is. Be public about what it is. <laughs> If mine is like younger, yours is younger. It's just mine wasn't as much younger as I wanted, but it's not, it's not your like mental inner age. I think that's important to, you know, it can't measure the how young you feel in your mind, which is the okay. important part. Okay. 
Yeah, <laughs> but it is interesting anyway. But thanks um, to Inside Tracker for that special deal. Um, everyone head to InsideTracker.com slash Ironwomen. And Haley, I'll talk to you next week. Bye, Alyssa. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited and produced by Lindsay Glassford. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thank you to our sponsors, Noon Hydration, Zelio Skincare, Orca Sportswear, and Inside Tracker. You can find all websites and discount codes at ironwomenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.